Well, folks, this is According to Callus, and I had a interesting weekend. And as Mondays go, it was not a stellar one, but just when I thought I was through it, boom, I found out I wasn't. Seems that some uh, valuable communication did not occur, and I let some people down. So, I'm not sure that I'm going to take 100% of that blame, but... My portion is my portion. And where the chips fall, they may. We must move on. And here we are. It is Magdeburg Monday. It is, oh, let's see. It should be episode 127, I think, right now. But let me let me confirm that because, you know, I'd hate to get my own episode count wrong. It might indeed be episode 128. Oh, it could be 129. But we'll know here in just a moment because it's important to get the stuff right even when, oh, look at that. I got my own podcast playing in the background. Hey, while we're at it, let me just pause for station ID. Well, yes, of course, it is indeed episode 127 on Magdeburg Monday. We're picking up on chapter one. And chapter one uh, basically references of God the distinction of the persons. So because this is essentially a confession of faith, they have to lay out the underlying precepts of where they're coming from so that they can make the argument that comes later on. So in the interest of time and respecting the listeners, I'm going to go through this a little more quickly than some of the others that I've gone through, only because... I think a lot of this is going to upset some Catholic folks. And um, if there may actually be Anabaptists around, they might be upset too. And the purpose of this is not to do that. This is, you know, your good Lutheran Calvinistic teaching here. So, I'm sorry, heavy Luther, light Calvinistic, because he's much later. In any case, uh, so here we go. Concerning the nature of God, we declare and teach against all heretics, ancient and modern, from the from the certain word of God, according to the declaration of the apostolic, Nicene, and Althusenian creeds, that there is one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is, three persons, indivisible, intelligent, incommunicable, and in the same substance of infinite power and glory, equal, equally from eternity. Well, that is a mouthful. And this is important because this is how they determine if you're on their team or not. And then they go through to give some more explanations of this and finish off with that who shall come against the majesty to do universal judgment on the entire human race. Speaking of God, the father, I assume ruling with equal power, the father for all eternity. Yes. So he shall give position of the inheritance of God. Sorry. Inheritance of God in eternal life, but the rest, the impenitent, impenitent, and the unbelieving, shall be subject together with the devil to the penalty of damnation for eternal death. Wow. And because I can, I'm going to go ahead and start chapter two of creation of the cause of sin and what sin is. So, through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, God, in order that he might manifest himself in this way and that we might 
he might be worshipped, established all things in the beginning, both bodily and spiritual natures, not out of any pre-existing material, but only by his commanding. And the, the things thus both came into being and are preserved today by the life-giving Holy Spirit. Again, laying down what is what, and although all things were very good when God had created them, nonetheless evil soon entered afterwards. I've got those words backwards, but it means the same. That is sin and death, not indeed from God, but from the will of the devil and of man. For since those had been created in the image of God, wisdom, righteousness, and eternal life, and endowed also with the freedom of doing good according to the will of God, they soon used the same freedom for evil against God, and thus they destroyed themselves, since God was not making the opposite happen or forcing them to do otherwise. That is, that mystery of free will. Thus the deed is understood to be in man. And then talks about the devil convincing them that they need to go ahead and violate God's law and eat the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And once they did that, the corruption entered and then things kind of went bad. And we're going to fast forward quite a bit here. The psychos, or well, I guess the psychicos, Man is still in some way able to achieve upright works in a civil manner, whence arise shadows of the virtues and external discipline even among the Gentiles. So basically, uh, what I've just fast-forwarded to is, even though we're sinful and we're apart from God, we can do good things, but we have all these other things that get in the way, such as lovers of themselves, full of error, worry, mistrust, doubt, hatred of God, wicked lusts, and words and deeds contrary to God. To the point that nothing is left in any part of all man descended by nature. It's kind of rough. And then he talks about the papists. So we're just going to leave that alone because, quite frankly, that is not the purpose of it. Uh, that's going to lead us into of the law, which is chapter 3. Just as God in the beginning made himself known through creation, soon therefore he made himself known both by his revealed word before and after the fall of man through commandments and promises by which man might exercise obedience and faith towards God. Furthermore, the same will of God is written by nature in man's heart, but obscured by the progress of time in those first centuries. God afterwards set forth again the law through Moses, so that in every age men might have obtained a certain word, a witness of the word of God, for which they know they ought to do what they ought not do, and how they ought to conduct themselves towards God and each other. Basically, the law is there to teach you how to behave and what not to do, and most of the time we can't even handle that. Then we deal with the idea that God did not want this will of his to exist in the law so that men by doing the law might be able to attain righteousness and life by its works and they therefore might obtain this apart from God. It was to show them that they were going to fail and when they've been justified by faith to begin the obedience, then they are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Again, we are fast-forwarding quite a bit through this. And 
He has ordained and related penalties and rewards of various sorts, whether through the ministers of the word, magistrates, and the heads of households, or whether he himself punishes the obstinate without these ministers. And on the other hand, he does good in the life of upright men, so that he may in this way bring about and keep certain discipline in the outward habits of our life. So again, now we're going to talk about Moses received from God certain ceremonial and judicial laws in addition to the Decalogue, and they were imposed for a limited time until Christ. But they do not bind these Christian churches now because it's after the uh, time of Christ, right? So, and then we go the doctrine of the law and they're going to talk about the errors we're going to again we're going to go well you know what let's have some fun the great errors of the papists yeah so they again want to point out this is the words of basically luther's people not mine so um they're just saying that they corrupt the law and denying the deficiency of reverence faith joy and similar Defects in the nature of man are sin. They twist the law when from its commands they are not taking revenge about the lack of ability. Okay. And the works of separation and perfection. And other human traditions rather than the works commanded in divine law. And then it talks about the interministers which those are the guys that basically were looking to cut a deal. They were our, the ancient moderates, if you will. And the Deaforests, uh, another similar group, I guess, would be the way to put it. Um, they just they want everybody to get along. And then to go to the next one, teach the law was given for justification. So in other words, you can be justified by the law. And the Anabaptists abolish law. <laughs> Removing civil office and judgments and distinction between the dominions. So, interesting. And then, of course, he talks about the idea of forbidding marriage to priests. And then talks about the uh, callback to churches. And some more divine law and authority. And talking about the popes in their ceremonial rules. And then antimuniums a lot of this really would make no sense to the average um, person in today's day and age so again I'm going to speed through this then I'm going to talk about gospel and justification uh, two parts one is talking about the benefits of belonging to Christ and the other is about the application of the benefits to us and when God remits or does not impute sin to whatever man he wants, he is joined together with the forgiveness of absolution, this penalty of eternal death, just as in the court of forgiveness of fault has joined the forgiveness of civil penalty. So it is going on to the judgment and I guess I'm going to skip forward. It talks about God absolving no one from sin and death. Um, he made his righteousness and a son and the heir of eternal life. And he first gives him the Holy Spirit, right? So, again, a lot of this is very important. And it's very much heavy Protestant 
So I'm, I'm trying to spin through this just because I don't want to get people lost in this that have zero interest in it because this is all the predication of where they come from, the doctrine of lesser magistrates. So we carry on. And furthermore, that we will be regenerated by Holy Spirit is either able to is able either to use the gifts that have been accepted or not use them and the gifts themselves increase in those who use them and they have other rewards corporal and spiritual in this life and life to overcome and in the conversion and regeneration of adults the holy scriptures describe three principal movements namely contrition faith and new obedience these Movements themselves occur together in different ways, and the forgiveness of sin, justification, adoption, and life are not ascribed to anything but faith alone. Not even the other. So there you go. Basically, these are all important, but they're an outgrowth of, or an outgrowth of faith or an outflowing of this faith, not in about themselves, right? And it does not exclude the contrition and other virtues. I'm going to speed through this some more. And since this regeneration of new man is only begun in life through baptism, and only the first few fruits of the Spirit are given, not the tenth, therefore the entire obedience is still imperfect, and are vestiges of the old man remaining after baptism and those who are sanctified. There remain also failings and corpses of the law. In other words, this stuff is still around, and it basically becomes sinful. And then... Faithfully, okay, so I have faithfully reproduced the summary of teaching the scripture and the whole business of justification. There are nearly infinite corruptions, okay? So now we're going to just skip through these corruptions because, again, this is high uh, Protestant stuff. All right, and then on to the sacraments. Um, honestly, I don't know that there's anything that needs to be touched on there, basically. They say there's three sacraments instead of the seven. Again, now we're talking about baptism. Now in here, I want to pause briefly only because I think it is very interesting uh, that it talks about how, why, or why one of the distinctions they make is So the laving of water partly signifies the sprinkling of blood of Christ or the washing away of sins and partially putting to death the old man. It foreshadows the birth of the new man, right? So let me see if I can get... This is interesting. Oh, okay, there we go. So again, some of this is very high... Um, Lutheran stuff here, but I, I just very interesting. And I, and I shared this with some friends of mine that last week and I just, okay. So I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can, because we're coming up on some stuff here. All right. In the first place, therefore the Anabaptists are to be condemned for excluding the wretched infants from baptism, either because their sin is excused as though they had no sin or on account of the accusation of their reason, because they are not yet able to use it and to believe they are also to be condemned for repeating the ceremony, making any earlier baptism empty and weakening the universal power of, of true baptism. Secondly, just as the Hermano Baptizi 
once because of the opinion that the covenant was made of no effect on the account of subsequent sin, therefore used to repent of the ceremony of great wickedness. So now the papists, in their similar opinion or greater wickedness, have substituted for the power of baptism their own works, not so much works of divine law, but works of a human tradition, to the point that monks consider tonsure equal to baptism even among dead persons. Again, I'm not 100% sure what that's all about, but they impiously removed this, the use of baptism for the remission of sins after it is completed. So again, they impiously posit another use which baptism does not have in the word of God. Namely, they say, is for the extenuation of the original sinfulness remaining in man's nature after baptism. Even though that real efficacy itself, which is in baptism, the sole institution of ordination of God's will, they attribute it directly to the water in a magical manner. Some to the water on the account of some hidden power, others to the account of the substance of the word. Finally, human recklessness is added to their their own filth and essential things of baptism, namely magical anointing by the devilish profanity or pro, profanation that they have transferred to the sacrament of bells and stones. We also reject what the Adiaphorists have done. They defile the sacrament by the restoration of certain uh, ceremonies. Oh, I have to back up here because I must have missed it. Okay, so I did. I skipped over to the first uh, paragraph here. I don't know why I did that. Baptism is the washing with water instituted by Christ, which is done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the regeneration of eternal life. That is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this ceremony or eternal covenant, they're truly brought into agreement with the person baptized, that all the benefits of Christ belong to him, and that he is the people of God, or a true church, he is received in grace, and that he is accounted righteousness. He has made a son and heir to eternal life, and likewise the Holy Spirit is now given to him to begin in the emotions of the new life and heart, and the work truth or work him true fear, faith, and joy, and to put to death desires the old man, just as the ceremony itself depicts these double effects. Okay, so now i got to say, this is not where I thought it was. This is very disappointing. So it must come later. All right, and they're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Honestly, I'm going to spit through that. And absolution, I'm going to go through that. Uh, the, okay, so now chapter 6 is where they start to get into the explanation. But being that I've now gone through nearly 20 minutes of this, let me just say, all of this boils down to the idea that the Lutherans are trying to separate themselves as a Protestant church from the tradition and the power of the Catholic church. And particularly at that time, it was something to be, for lack of a better word, afraid of. So that's why they're being so strong. And then you have the Anabaptists and then you have these various groups that are compromising. They're trying to separate and push them out as well. And, you know, we deal with that now, the idea of compromising, and I might jump into the idea of uh, progressive Christianity at some point, but I'm trying to not make the entirety of my podcast uh, Christianity and theology because there's just so much other stuff. But this book, this confession, is the underlying base argument going forward for all that's going to come from the doctrine of lesser magistrates. It, it all basically starts here in the 
time of the Reformation, which is in the so-called Dark Ages. And this is actually stuff that had been around prior to, like 500 years earlier, but had kind of gone to sleep. It had been ignored, not given due uh, honor. And I got to say that my takeaway, and again, I'm just going to kind of pause on the portion of the book for the right now. The My takeaway is the idea that they are trying to get across. Let me give me a second here. Well, folks, I've had multiple interruptions. The uh, issue that uh, came to fore uh, has now caused a friend of mine to face scorn in unjust accusations. So let me be clear. It's not on them. I'll handle this on social media. And I'm really sad that people that I would associate with would stoop to this level. It was a simple scheduling error and we do not attack our friends. This is ridiculous. I'm going to end this now because, quite frankly, I'm not in the mood to finish my podcast, which makes me very sad. I look forward to doing the Magda Bird uh, Mondays. This was, uh, I guess, part three, episode 127. Uh, I've now laid as much groundwork as I can for the, I guess, probably two final episodes outlining exactly where we got this from and why this is important even now. So with that... I'll bid you farewell, and I will see you on the other side.